This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. From award-winning masterpieces to festival-fresh gems, movies you've been dying to see or ones you've never heard of before, there's always something new to discover. For a limited time only, during the Cannes Film Festival, you can try Mubi for three months for just $1. Till the end of the festival on May 25th, go to mubi.com slash filmcomment to claim the offer. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash filmcomment for 90 days of hand-picked cinema for just $1. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting a new restoration of The Queen. Decades before Paris is burning, this iconic 1968 documentary introduced audiences to the world of competitive drag. The Queen comes to theaters starting June 28th. Counterpunch calls the new streaming service Ovid.tv indispensable. Head over to explore their catalog at www.ovid.tv, that's O-V-I-D TV. Until May 31st, you can use the code CAN to get 50% off their monthly subscription for three months. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nick Rippold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. Uh, and this is another edition of our Can Podcast. And this is the day that many have been anticipating and it's kind of probably signals the end of the festival, basically, <laughs> for many people, because uh, it's a day when uh, both uh, the Tarantino film and uh, the Bong Joon-ho's films uh, screen for the press um, and also I guess, public screenings. Very happy to be joined for this episode by... Eric Hines, curator of film at Museum of the Moving Image and a film comment columnist. And... Uh, Julia Daniel-Ovalan, American programmer for the and selection committee member for the Venice Film Festival and in Cannes also for the Italian Daily Newspaper and Manifesto. And we, we are on a strict schedule, I hope Julia doesn't mind saying, because like many people, uh, she's going to have to uh, file a, file a, a review on this right away. Um, but we are able to get the benefit of immediate thoughts. Uh, and what are those immediate thoughts? It, it, it was, uh, yeah, we're fresh from it. I'm a little this fried. from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once yeah. Upon a Time in Hollywood is the name. So what did, what did we think of this? I mean, this is definitely full-on fresh response from what we just saw, which is yeah. hopefully fascinating for the, for the listeners at home, but also I don't think any three of us are, have fully formed thoughts because I think we've we probably left the theater about 10 minutes ago at the most. Yeah. Actually, occurs to me though is we should probably just say what happens in the movie. <laughs> well, it's also it's also I'm also debating uh, 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 wrestling with this little, little thing at the beginning where mm-hmm. we are not supposed to reveal anything. Which that, was a, a request from Quentin Tarantino request, himself. Yeah, which was a request from Tarantino himself not to reveal anything that so that we keep the experience fresh. So it's, it, it's kind of daunting because uh, it, you know we, we want to talk about the movie and we want to also collect our ideas about it. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'll do, at least for the purposes of this podcast, I'll attempt to uh, remain faithful to that request because I do think that what he's referring to is the last 15 minutes of the film, and it's a two-and-a-half-hour film. Um, and uh, help me both out with names because I have no way of referencing this at this point. 
<laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I, I, I think throughout I was just writing the initials of the actors, basically. <laughs> so it's sort of a two-hander, and for a lot of the film, in terms of this buddy situation between aging an aging uh, actor, or I would say like into his forties, actor played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who um, had some Hollywood leading man, uh, you know, uh, juice to his career. But then we we catch him in 1969 in a point where he's mostly doing guest spots and TV shows as a as a as a as a, as a heavy, um, and he's his buddy throughout is his stunt double played by Brad Pitt, and at this point Brad Pitt is being paid full time to be his buddy basically in his assistant as well as occasionally getting work as a stunt double and so i would say for the first nearly two hours of the film that's the bulk of what we're watching we're however of course the dates of this are february and then i think november of 1960 of august 1969 Mm -hmm. um and this being uh the next door neighbors uh to the quentin to the the leonardo dicaprio character are, are, are are um sharon tate and Roman Polanski, Polanski. Yeah. Um, and we there are encounters with the Manson family. Like that's sort of that's the milieu we're in. That's the sort of time we're in. That's the culture that's sort of happening around this um, this dynamic duo. And it's interesting at the beginning because uh, Tarantino shows it doesn't show it shows it shows us Polanski and and, and Sharon Tate and he's this very famous European uh, director who already made Rosemary's Baby and she's a beautiful actress you know uh, emerging actress and uh, and and it, it's a contrast with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, fading uh, right. uh, you know and 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 with a stuntman and and it's sort of, sort of this this difference this sort of more pathetic mm-hmm. uh, world and sort of the shine of. Uh, uh, you know, art cinema, and, and I think it's very funny, and it's very kind of delicate the way the way he does it. There is no caricature. Uh, yeah. It's 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 actually quite lovely. I like that part a lot. No, and there's as you're saying, great affection for where these men are and the culture that they're working within. The 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 idea of sort of making sitcoms or not sitcoms really, um, of of making like sixty minute action TV shows, yeah. um, he's this amazing affection for it and amazing affection for the, the people who make them. Yeah, yeah. and it's, you know, and it's also, it, it's, it's that cultural television in the Hollywood television, you know, in the 60s is very much uh, a lot of professional that were uh, not just actors or stuntmen that were, you know, they did film and then they tran- they transitioned mm-hmm. to television just simply because they were, they were aging and all that craft and all the thing, it's very kind of nicely reconstructed, you know, mm-hmm. to the point as Nick was saying before, to be like obsessive about details and about yeah. the way these things happen, you know, and, uh, and so, and so it's, it's, it's very, it's very Tarantino in a in a in a way that he, you know it quotes a lot, but it's also I think uh, extremely warm uh, uh, and uh, and kind of fun the way he takes on the you know the TV series, which of course are non movies, but uh, but it's it's uh, it's kind of a, a nice play with it. And there and the other thing that he brings in is the sort of Italian. Uh, film industry, the spaghetti westerns, yeah. um, and how you know from the very very beginning of the film, the DiCaprio character is being offered work by Al Pacino um, to work at, in spaghetti westerns because he can still be a, a leading man rather than be kind of a, a depressed 
a Hollywood TV actor. So that, that element gets brought into it as well. And of course, yeah. the joke is on Clint Eastwood, who was doing Rawhide, you know, <laughs> yeah. and his yeah. career didn't fade at all. He went to, you know, he went to Italy <laughs> right. six, six, 61, 62, you know, he did, he did uh, a fistful of dollars right. and he came back and he, it, it, through the Italian Western, made him a star. And the uh, and that's very, that's kind of very fun. And also the, the tribute particular to Corbucci, who mm. Tarantino is big, big fan of, uh, of mm-hmm. Corbucci. I think he says second best Italian director, but he equates <laughs> to, to Le- equates Corbucci to uh, to uh, to Leone. So that's that's kind of the idea that you can build your career through this, you know, very funky and, and, and Italian western. Which obviously uh, um, this this particular uh, DiCaprio actor despises. You know, so I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, and there's, they just sort of fondly trace their their routine as 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 an actor and his more buddy slash slash stuntman and i mean i was kind of marking just checking my watch not because i was boring because i was just kind of marveling mm-hmm. at how much time they so look they luxuriate you know like an hour in and i mean i have to check my notes but i i mean i i'm i think they're just starting to like run the scenes in the in the new western mm-hmm. that western show that he's doing like a, a heavy a cam a, a um, part as, as a heavy in um, and and they don't make a joke of it either. Like he's actually good at it. He like flubs some lines at first, and he's insecure. But then he's actually good mm-hmm. at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is essentially, if you think of it, is three is three main you know plot lines, and he takes his time with all of them, and he keeps going from one to the other because it's the two actors. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's actually it's, it's the two friends as as uh, the actor and his stuntman, and then there is this. The Manson uh, people that we start yeah. seeing from from the very beginning, you know, then they cross his path. Uh, the, the the girls that are in a dumpster and and uh, you know getting their trash and bringing stuff home. And yeah. then the third it would be in, uh, Polanski and, and and Sharon Tate. And he you know he takes his time with uh, with all of them and he makes them meet uh, occasionally. I lo- I really really liked the um, uh, ranch scene yeah. yeah that's a that's a great yeah, that's, that's, a, very that's a great that's, that's a that's a classic tarantino it, set piece yeah with also with 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 new wrinkles and ways of doing it and mm-hmm. he's up to something else but there there's there is a i guess two three i would say three scenes that are in that tarantino set piece mode where oh, yeah. you have no idea how long this scene is going to go mm-hmm. on for because he's just going to do it the way he wants to do it yeah. and the ranch is is one of those but there's another scene where, as you're alluding to where DiCaprio is is an acting performance where mm-hmm. we see a, f- a full yeah. scene play out <laughs> yeah um, without any sense of there being like a two camera or three camera setup you're just we're in it as if it's a film yeah yeah at a certain point you're just cut into it and like you're, you're just in that movie um so yeah that's 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 pretty remarkable and the, the spawn ranch I guess that's a part where it's I mean, it's drawing on the Manson like mythology and the Manson history for for that sort of detail, but also bringing out. I mean, I don't know if this is a part of like the usual, I don't know, mythology surrounding the Manson family. I haven't really read a lot. A lot of it hasn't really been my cup of tea. But uh, that is a ranch where they used to film um, previous westerns. Definitely, no, no, definitely, and they filmed them for for you know for for many years, and it's still it's still it's still there. And oh, yeah. I don't know how accurate it is uh, Bruce Dern's uh, <laughs> character as the owner or you know the, the caretaker of this ranch yeah. basically led in uh, this, this sort of flower children gone bad or <laughs> soon to be going bad. I mean, I mean, part of what we shouldn't talk about is any divergence from the historical record, but there's a lot of the historical record in the film. Yeah. That's what's interesting. It's like there's like, yeah. you know, it's part of what is being explored here um, is that, which is certainly not, you know, at least uh, for the first, uh, you know, for, for a fair amount of the film, which is not heard of, I think, mm-hmm. in previous Tarantino films, is he actually does beyond the sort of detail of the culture or the detail of film culture, 
He's going into detail in terms of the historical record too. Like he's he's done that research. It's in there, you know. So it's to be found. This is not a film where it feels like he's just dropping references left and right, right. and trying to luxuriate. Yeah, in there's things. a purpose. Yeah. And that's that's something that often is pretty frustrating to me. As fun as it can be, it's like eating candy. You don't really want to have like yeah. two hours of of just you know show off mm -hmm. references or shots that do this or that. You know, I mean, the, you know, there there's signs. You get glimpses of shows. He has, I think, at one point he has fun cutting um, uh, DiCaprio's character into an actual episode of something. Yeah, and and including a, a pretty cool shot at yeah. one point in there. Um, so that's that's neat. But somehow it never has that like show off feel that that takes uh -huh. you out of it. Um, I mean, it, it's in some ways it's like this weirdly like fine grained, I almost want to say like naturalistic drama for a lot of it. Well, in it a way. Watching um, it reminded me of watching Inherent Vice um, in the way that it's the first film of his that I think lacks, it's not foregrounding its own grandstanding mm -hmm. qualities mm -hmm. and it's not announcing itself as major all the time. And, you know, these are, these are, I mean, I like most of the Tarantino films and I like most of the yeah. Paul Thomas Sanders films, but both are unique in that sense in that um, they're period films that seem to be kind of luxuriating in their moments and in that place way more than they're luxuriating on what they're doing with it, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Um, and so it didn't, it didn't feel like a Tarantino film most of the time, even though obviously there's so many ways that it is a Tarantino film, but it didn't have that. It, it didn't have that sense of, uh, yeah, I guess the word I used before is its own grandiosity as sort of motivating what it's doing. And I, I agree, and I and I do think that the fact that it's 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 set in the world of television uh, uh, helps. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, helps yeah. that uh, not grandstanding. You know, he yeah. doesn't. There is no. Uh, scope, you know, in anything that we go in into, there is no big, big shot. It is no Sergio Leone kind of shot. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. everything mm -hmm. is, the, you know, there's the TV format. A lot of it is in black and white, and uh, and so that kind of brings down the temptation for for grandiosity. And even when and another scene that I like very much at some point, you know, and 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 it, Sharon Tate is introduced as a, as I said before as an emerging actress, and uh, and when she got at some point she's going to buy uh, an oh, original edition scene. of uh, Tess of the Dabervilles for yeah. for. For, for her husband, you know, it's, it's a gift and it's, yeah. a, it's a lovely scene. And then she walks yeah. across the street and she notices that there is a movie with her and it's a Dean Martin uh, yeah. comedy where she plays the, the, the dumb, the basically yeah. the klutz. <laughs> and, and she goes and watches. Yes. And again, that's something that could have been extremely self-referential yeah. and kind of, mm -hmm. you know, back and forth. And she's just like delighted. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and he's, you know, she's an insecure, Starting, and she sees it when she feels the people riding at this very silly interaction she has with Dean Martin. I just, I, it's just lovely with the bare feet, yeah. completely yeah, sexy. Yeah. yeah, it's just a nice scene. Yeah, it, it, and it, what it, was it, Margot Robbie, by the way, plays. Yeah, yes, Margot Robbie, and I mean that. That's another thing you can kind of get maybe nervous about just early on because he's having a lot of fun just kind of panning over her in, in, in several shots. Um, but but at a certain point, I do think the joy comes from her. It's not just our, our enjoying like an, an image of, of, of a young, young actress, um, it, but it's it's actually, it completely transfers to her and she's she's enjoying herself in, in, a, in a movie theater. And, you know, it doesn't unnecessarily like humiliate her when she goes in and like says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. Sharon Stanley yeah. and they don't recognize her at first. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a weirdly s sweet movie for a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and I was just gonna yeah. say, I think that's a really lovely characterization yeah. of her. Yeah. You know, she's, uh, you know, we all know what happened to her and we all know how she fits into the sort of constellation mm -hmm. of that moment. Um, but we actually 
there's not a lot of talk about what her personality actually was, what she was like, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's the fact that she has these moments in the film where we're just really, really wonderful because mm -hmm. she seems like a really sweet person. Yeah. Um, whatever, how, whatever her qualities or merits were as an actress are sort of really mm -hmm. secondary to what he's doing here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, completely. And I and I I like uh, maybe because I I you know I grew up in a completely different continent, <laughs> but I I am I like I just like to sort of the sub subcultures that he uh, that he addresses again. You know, since it's not Hollywood a big age. Yes, they go to the Playboy Mansion and and you have the mamas and pop. Uh, you have them there. You have them, but it's sort of this idea. There's all these people that are making a living, you know. And then we kind of think, oh yeah, Brad Pitt, uh, the, the stuntman. Killed his wife on a boat, and you know that there is a moment. But it's all these people that have their lives, and they just sort of keep going and and uh, yeah. and, and make movies yeah. or TV uh, rather yeah. in this in this particular case. So I, I like the I like very much the uh, I'm I'm fascinated by films that explore that those that subculture that you know not everything that's on the screen, but everyone that makes it and, and yeah yeah and it's it is funny to think that somehow. The, the world of television is is, is a, a realer world. It's like the world of daily life in, in a way that the movies are, are, aren't, um, or not necessarily. Um, and that's that's what we're exploring in it. Well, I mean, because which I think speaks to what we're talking about—the yeah. lack of grandiosity—is mm -hmm. that it's it's a world that's not as glamorous. It's a yeah. world that is more, at least comparatively, more working class. So it's a work a day, mm -hmm. turn out the shows, yeah. pilot seasons coming around. You yeah. got to sort of get your shit together and try to get cast <laughs> on another thing. And yeah. you know, it's a lot. More, it's it's I don't know. It's it's closer to the ground. Yeah, and yeah. and this you know I. I adore the uh, Brad Pitt uh, character. You know, he can go from being really mean yeah. to being just sort of funny. And I always appreciated his comedic talent, which yeah. is not as used uh, often as it should be. Right. And this is, you know, it's fantastic because he goes from, from you know, beating up Bruce Lee essentially <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to uh, you know playing with his dog and 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 yeah. and uh, wearing wigs and being kind of a yeah just a little bit of a. Nice loser. I think. <laughs> uh, can I say that? Yeah. 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 And and and, and still he, immensely it, appealing it, and, oh, and attractive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Immensely, immensely appealing. You know, but uh, the way he handles and the whole thing with the hippie culture is, is also kind of fun because sure. it's it's just 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 a bunch of hippies. You know, this is is and it's from a working class perspective, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Is is really from a working class yeah. perspective. So I, I like I like that take uh, yeah. very much. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, yeah, he's kind of an average Joe. Also, I mean, it's it's almost like they're they're it's reclaiming certain masculinity that you know it, that isn't like cartoonish. It's just he's just kind of a decent guy. That there are a number of times where he could do the wrong thing. Sometimes he does the I don't know the kind of aggressive thing, but um, a lot of the times he's he's the kind of moral center of, of a scene or a situation, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting to watch. And you know, there I guess I'm not sure we clarified, but like. He is. He says he's basically like the Caprio character's gopher, more or less. But he's never really unhappy about that, which is right. Kind of yeah, interesting. There's no tension yeah. there. Yeah, there's no there's no tension about that. Um, he also has a cute dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who can get very nasty? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brandy. That's the name of the dog. Brandy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so now, uh, Julia, will we'll leave us. But we were able to grab <laughs> her for. I for really a apologize. No, not I really at all. Apologize. This and, is great, though. And what and uh, what are you talking about next? The Mal Malik. Ooh, um, I, 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 that would, that would get me very upset. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. While the masters of international cinema grace the closet, Mubi brings the best of can to you. 
This month, stream highlights from the festival's past with movie's annual Can Takeover series. This year's impressive lineup includes Palme d'Or winner Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, as well as Amores Perros from this year's jury president Alejandro González Iñárritu, plus career bests from Can heavyweights Gus Van Sant, Hirokazu Koreeda, Takeshi Miike, the Darden Brothers, and many more. Plus, if you sign up during the festival, you'll get three months for just one dollar. From now until May 25th, go to movie.com slash film comment to claim the offer. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash film comment for 90 days of great cinema for just one dollar. The Film Comment podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting a new restoration of Frank Simon's The Queen. Decades before RuPaul's Drag Race and Paris is Burning, this groundbreaking 1968 documentary introduced audiences to the world of competitive drag and features LGBT icons and activists like Flawless Sabrina, Crystal LeBeja, Andy Warhol, and Edie Sedgwick. Writing for the Chicago Sun-Times, Roger Eber called it a gutsy, funny, really very moving documentary. The Queen opens June 28th at IFC Center in New York before expanding to select cities. Ovid.tv is sure to be your favorite new streaming platform. Their selection is huge and includes work by Claire Denis, Chris Marker, and Ryosuke Hamaguchi. From now until May 31st, listeners can head over to www.ovid.tv and sign up with the coupon code CAN, that's C-A-N-N-E-S, to get 50% off the monthly subscription price for three months. That means you get Ovid.tv for just $3.50 per month for three months. So that's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. These are very much first draft thoughts. Yeah, and, totally. uh, you know, I'm sure there's more more to be said. I can I can always feel the, the sweat running down the, the foreheads of people who are right now rapidly trying to write reviews about it. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, we don't need to go into the like line waiting culture here, but suffice to say it was, it was pretty brutal. It was brutal for this, for this film. So it's worth pointing that out that a lot of these critics and writers who are working on films, writing about films like this are going through quite a bit of, of tension and uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, I was in I was in the line for nearly two and a half hours, um, and barely yeah. got in. Yeah. Um, but uh, that I mean, so that was a big event today. <laughs> um, there was another big event. Uh, I mean, in terms of a almost I hate the word iconic, but uh, certainly a, a another central filmmaker, uh, sure. Terrence Malick, yes. uh, whose film A Hidden Life screened for the press on Sunday. Actually, I was think. it Sunday? Yeah, yeah. it was Sunday, uh, and. That's that's a whole other kettle of fish. It's a whole other kettle. I don't of know. Fish. You know. Uh, yeah. That's. I don't know. I won't even try to connect them. It's fine. No. Yeah. There's no reason to connect no reason them to connect whatsoever. Them. But uh, it should. I mean, how do you want to describe that one? And I'll uh, yeah, jump I'll, in. I'll give it a, give it a shot. It is. This is based on a true historical figure, an actual historical figure, uh, and I can't remember his name, but it's Austrian. Uh, he <laughs> is a conscientious objector who uh, lived in a mountain village and basically refused to pledge allegiance uh, to Hitler as, as events uh, unfold and, and Hitler takes power and including Austria. And that's then from there, it's, it's him being taken into custody and, and thrown in jail. And well, cause he, he actually, he does, he gets called, uh, he gets drafted, he gets and, drafted and reports, yeah. but when he reports, he refuses to, that's what it is to salute or, or, or swear the oath to, yeah. to loyalty to Hitler. And then begins a chain of events of, of him being whisked away basically. Yeah. Uh, and, and meanwhile, he has this, you know, picture perfect idyllic family life that he's, he's leaving behind in, in mm. what is pretty frankly, 
portrayed as an Edenic mm -hmm. mountain village, oh, yeah. uh, with maybe the minor exception of a mayor who, you know, is, with Hitler coming to power, starts r railing against foreigners. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the villagers are, all, all get a bit tribal <laughs> against sure. uh, against the conscientious objector um, and and his, his family as well. So... <laughs> that's 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 the long and, sh and short of yeah, it. Yeah, there's really. not much more to say plot wise. Yeah. Um, but and this is a nearly three hour portrayal of this story. It is indeed nearly three hour portrayal of the story. And I mean, I guess the quickly get, go over what might be considered a somewhat something of a departure from Alec in terms of it being clearly scripted in a way the last three films have not been so scripted. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want to oversell the idea of it being scripted, but there are scenes of dialogue um, mm -hmm. that uh, are not just sort of caught in the fly um, that right. uh, take, you know, take place for several minutes at, at a time sometimes. Um, and there are no Hollywood actors. You know, these are all Austrian German mm -hmm. uh, actors yeah, and it's it's his first period film in, in, in a while, um, since Tree mm -hmm. of Life, certainly. Mm -hmm. um, the last three being contemporary films. You know, so that that said, I, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why, at least from the responses, of the, the immediate responses of some reviews and trades, et cetera, is that it's getting quite good reviews for, for those who I think have been impatient with his last several films. But as somebody who really adores the last several films. I do think that that this is in many ways a continuation of what he's been doing. Um, and for in, in other ways, potentially the fulfillment of what he's been leading to. Um, because there's, um, in, in some ways, this is actually closest to Thin Red Line, not necessarily entirely formally speaking, but Thin Red Line is really when you know he came back on the scene and started constructing these films a little bit differently. Um, mm -hmm. There being quicker cuts and there being this cubistic way of of, of creating narrative uh, mm -hmm. or in, in some ways like, yeah, yeah, right. I wouldn't say it's not, it's not non-narrative, but it's cubistic in its approach to narrative. Um, and, but also much like the thin red line, it is essentially a Christ story. Mm -hmm. Um, and for anyone who's been paying attention to his work for a long time, like his Christianity and or his interest in Christianity is essential to what he's doing. Yeah. Um, the way that it plays out with this film, I think is really fascinating because he's revisiting this moment with 13, 39 to 43 as basically a, a moment of Christian crisis. Mm -hmm. um, that's his, that's his way of looking at this. Um, and I just find that incredibly interesting mm -hmm. um, and compelling. And so this, the mode that might be familiar to you in terms of this voiceover that is almost like a prayer. Um, and I think essentially almost always is a prayer in his films um, is literally so. You have just entreaties to God from um, from the, the, the two main characters, the, the husband and wife, and each taking a somewhat different approach and having mm -hmm. a different way of addressing God. And I think in some ways it's like, it's essentially the that central questions of what it means to be a Christian and how to behave as a Christian and how to treat your fellow man mm -hmm. at the same time uh, as it's specifically about this moment in our history mm -hmm. at the same time as I think it's not an accident that this is the moment he told he chose to tell this story right. um, and I think certainly in the beginning um, when this this fascistic fire starts it's pretty easy to sort of see the parallels to the present moment. Yeah, uh, and and as as well as the the, the you know the, the the option of of kind of uh, opting opting out of, of of skepticism or and kind of remaining in 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 your your routine. Uh, you know, this is this is an agrarian community, and they just kind of keep on 
keeping on with what 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 they're doing, um, and you know even as as Nazi soldiers are kind of impudently bicycling mm-hmm. through, um, and they because they're removed, I guess they kind of can be right uh, in a way, right? Um, and I sh- I should say at this point that yeah. this is a movie that that you know I I did have a bit of confusion around. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean I think Eric you put it a very uh, uh, eloquently about what it's doing, but I am of the the cadre of people uh, who uh, who just find it uh, find it strange and a little awkward that it's a, that it's a film that is so cloistered mm-hmm. to right. use that word <laughs> and that it is it is a movie that. Is, is, is willfully telling a story, uh, you know, of a, 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 a Christian martyr right. while, you know, leaving out so much of other things going on at, at the time to, to an extent that I, you know, I've been thinking about this since I first tried to, to phrase it when people kind of looked at me with like blank stares with the exception of like, I don't know, you know, a couple of, of colleagues. It just seems a little perverse in a way. And it's not, I know it's not willfully perverse, but there is like a, a, there's some sort of stubbornness to, to it. Um, I mean, that's not, that's not to say that there aren't nods to the genocide going on, for example, in the sense, you know, a couple of times you get these glimpses of, of, of these, what what looks like an escaped camp prisoner. Um, And, you know, then you have the mayor as well spouting these but but then you also have strange scenes of just kind of the third reich empire functioning pretty smoothly in a way you know uh the conscientious objector there's a sequence of of him being put on trial and getting appeals in a way and he has like a court-appointed lawyer um who, who keeps assuring him that he can get off if he just and i again i i don't know like the legal workings of of, of the reich the third reich but uh, I, it, it's it, it's just it's it's unnerving to 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 see this kind of straight faced uh, treatment of of life um, under under the the Nazis, even as it might be a you know an, a, a a a faithful depiction of mm-hmm. of the kind of you know remove that that one can have. It's just why or. I, I mean, one can say like we know why this movie is being made now, but I also have to ask why make 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 right. this movie at the time period that it's in, right. and and so willfully do do all, all all of that. You know, I'm not saying that a movie set during World War II has to be a, about you know one thing. But one there's only. an element of that that you're saying. No, I don't think I am. I, I'm saying that I I find it strange. I find it strange that the the extent to which. Um, a lot of the world is 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 left off screen, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes in a very, really strange way that feels aestheticized. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the empty city of I think it's Salzburg, or and then and then Ber- Berlin that he goes to for a couple. I mean, I guess at one point his wife goes to Salzburg, and then he goes to Berlin, and they're just empty. They're just sort of mm-hmm. beautiful, you know, old Gothic metropolises that are just there. And those are decisions, you know. I, I mean. It's an active decision not to show um, the, you know, what to present eyes definitely feels like is an aggression in, in that is that is part and parcel of 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 a, of a Nazi <laughs> ruler or, or city. Like it was it was woven through, throughout so many aspects of it, from you know propaganda or or people soldiers in the street, violence in the street, open violence in the street. You know, so this is where I'm at. Where it's it's a movie that. Already coming into it with a, you know, I have to admit, you know, I, 
I liked To the Wonder. I liked Tree of Life. I couldn't really get on board for song to song, but I'm not, I don't like dump on them, but the, there was definitely an incongruity between the, the kind of piousness of the frankly beautiful cinematography and, 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 and spiritual longings and, and, and poetic voiceovers between that and, mm-hmm. you know, what you know is the rest right. of the, the world there. And yeah, I don't want to make some blanket statement, but sometimes I did wonder whether you could make a movie like this now, whether it really makes sense. I don't know. But he did. But he did. But I mean, I, but, but whether I, he should. But, well, uh, well, <laughs> well, that is that is a longer conversation we can handle for this of whether or not we should be talking no, about actually, that's not what useful, filmmakers should do. No, no, I, I know that's that's not a useful question usually. But I mean, I think, listen, I mean, there's a lot of different we could. I have a feeling this is a conversation that will be happening beyond this conversation on this podcast over the next several months or over the course of the year as this film gets out there. It's not my favorite. It's not going to be my favorite way of talking about the film, but I certainly respect yours and others' responses along these lines. But I will just say a couple, not not that it needs to be uh, countered because we're just seeing it differently, but there's, there's a way in which I think if this film was made in 1949 or 1959, these are vital questions. 69, 79, there are like I would say hundreds of films about World War II that get made every single year mm-hmm. around the world. Why Terrence Malick needs to represent all these aspects of it, I don't know. And I don't know why we're constantly asking him, and especially to make a film differently than the way he makes a film, or to care about things differently than what he cares about. He made a Christian film about Christians in Austria <laughs> in 1939 to 1943. That's his slice, that's what he's doing. I know what happened in World War II. I know what happened to the Jews. I, you know, I'm somebody who thinks we are, you know, um, we are inured to these stories at this point because we tell them so many times and we've we shape them in such a way to, 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 to teach ourselves lessons. And so there's ways in which I'm incredibly hesitant around this, this space. I think that I'm going to give him a, a, some some latitude to approach it from where he's coming from. Again, I'm way more open to to, to an approach like this in 2019 than I may have been decades ago um, before those stories were really told in the way that they needed to be told. It doesn't mean there aren't still stories to be told. I'm really interested in this particular story. I'm interested in the way that he's telling it. Um, and the fact that it's an idyllic, you know, uh, f- you know, a uh, farm uh, in Austria is actually, I think, essential to what he's doing. You know, like there's like there's a sound of music is being evoked in this film. There's a sense of, like, you know, mythological or Christian paradise or Judeo-Christian paradise that he's establishing, which he's done time and time again. And I think that there is not to give away exactly what he's up to, although you probably wouldn't be surprised in how he explores the persistence of of, of notions of Eden, of, of, of nature, you know, and there's a line that I actually wrote down somewhere that I'll probably say for something that I write that I'll paraphrase at the moment, which is that nature, nature is completely unaware of, of the, 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 the fallacies, the foibles of, of humanity, you know, um, and like nature keeps going. And that's really the heart of what he's always going for, you know? And so, um, there's, I think that he can be guilty or may be guilty in some ways of not covering all the elements of what's happening in terms of human beings that he could in, you know, uh, in, in a, in a piece like this. But I think that some of, some of the larger philosophical and moral 
questions that he's asking are in such a high level that so few people are taking on anymore in, in cinema um, that I guess I'm willing to kind of accept um, maybe the limited palette that he's approaching some of those things in order to explore those things. So for me, like, I wasn't even paying attention to how he was shooting Berlin because I'm, I'm in some ways I'm paying attention to how the camera is moving and how he's lighting something and and what he's sort of showing at the edge of the frame, you know, because mm -hmm. um, I'm really, really constantly interested in what what's on the edge of the frame for him, because um, there's always something beyond the experiences of, of, of the characters in the film that interests him even more, which is what's interesting to me that there are actual dialogues and conversations because that's so de-emphasized in the previous films because it's so secondary. Like what people are actually doing and saying is secondary to the world outside of them, whether or not they're acknowledging it. That's also being explored in this film. It's just, um, He's in, in some ways, maybe we're asking this question even, this question seems even more pertinent because he's, I think, successfully created um, an, an historical or physical space um, uh, in, in, that we can inhabit in a dramatic sense. And so therefore we can ask these questions of, but okay, if you did this, if you dramatize this, how come you didn't dramatize that? I think we wouldn't even think of asking those questions in the previous films. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is always an interesting question, which is the one starts to have objections like mine more when the art is less persuasive. Um, and so, but one can also have these objections whether whether it's when it's brilliant. Oh, of course, and they should, but, you should, yeah. Uh, but I guess one other problem is that I, I did find this, this um, bucolic vision just kind of overripe, you know, and I'm, I'm a person who's totally receptive mm. and enjoy and exult in other films of him, his, um, mm. I mean, you don't have a pulse if you don't respond to like Badlands. Right. I mean, Days, uh, of, Days Heaven. of Heaven. Sure. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm not here saying like, oh, Days of Heaven, I can't stand how it aestheticizes migrant laborers. <laughs> you know, I, it's, this is, this, there's just something here where, I, yeah, I'm just, I'm not, it's not really com com compelling. I, I found that actually the depiction of the community a bit laborious. Um, um, I found the performance is not especially compelling, especially of the main um, character, who, uh, the, 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 the conscious, uh, conscientious objector. I, I j there was just a, a certain, you know, stolidness to him a after a while where I didn't feel like he was drawing on a lot. Well, I mean, I mean, again, I would say I mean, it, I, it's interesting that we're even talking about performance because I think the last several films are almost beyond performance. They're sort of secondary matter. So the fact that there is that, that you are not buying that character is, um, again, just just speaks to the fact that he's that he's in a sense he's 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 he's, he's work, putting work into characterization, which he yeah again, was not yeah. his primary focus. Yeah, I mean, I to to. Uh, to, to be a Siskel and Ebert situation here, um, I found it immensely satisfying artistically yeah. um, and spiritually and was pretty shaken by the experience um, in terms of uh, where it took me. Um, and I've kind of not stopped thinking about it in terms of some of the, the issues uh, that, that are raised um, mm -hmm. in terms of because uh, I don't th though, though there is a there is an answer in the film in terms of how the protagonist behaves I actually don't think it's resolved how that's the best way or the only way to respond to situations and, and I think that's something that I've been carrying with me a lot is the sort of like the what might be the most pure or what what might be um, the most uh, self-respecting and honest uh, true to self way of behaving and true to your God um, 
doesn't make it simple and certainly doesn't mm-hmm. make that the right answer either. Um, certainly not the right answer for those you love. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I had a profound experience watching the film, uh, not in, but not in a way that I'm, you know, uh, at all like uh, surprised or appalled that you didn't have that experience at all. Like, I, I, I do think it's a significant work of art, as I think all of the films have been significant works of art. And all I ever really ask in, in discussions is that there, that there's a that that's acknowledged in some way, because I feel like, um, yeah, I think he as an artist, unlike many or most artists I know in cinema gets talked about in terms of he owes something to an audience or he owes, he owes, which is not something you're saying at all, but like there's a way in which, you know, um, he's doing it wrong in some way. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's, it's a case of someone, you know, reaching, <laughs> reaching some, some point of senility and trying to make a political <laughs> film or something, you right, know? Um, right. um, yeah, definitely not that. But what is interesting to me is that, you know, this, this is a film where the, where your appreciation, appreciation is, I don't mean confrontational, but <laughs> one <laughs> appreciation, one appreciation of the film literally does not include my considerations, you know, not that it should have to, right, right. but, but, but it's, but it's hard. So just to, to what that, what I mean is that you can have appreciative reviews of this, which will not at all acknowledge what I think is a fair thing to say about the, about the film, you know, I mean, I haven't read a lot of reviews. I kind of tried to uh, stay away from it for, for, for this one, but it, it, it was weird to me immediately after yeah. um, talking about this film where when I would bring this up, I, I, it was as if I hadn't said it, like, like people just didn't, it didn't compute. So they just kept talking about it. Is it, is it complete? Like, is it, is it just, you know, does the sliver even make sense? Like I watched it and the movie literally didn't make sense to me uh-huh. to a certain extent. Like I could say, oh, this, this looks great. You know, this is, this is, this is Zedenic. They're, 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 they're the perfect couple. And, uh, and, and, you know, and then he has this strength of will, um, uh, and, uh, but at a certain point, I was just like, it wasn't computing. Like I had like a, you know, like a major critic come after me afterwards and we, and we both realized that we thought the same thing. And, 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 you know, that person just like grabbed me and shook me and said, how could, you know, and this doesn't make any sense. You know, it wasn't making, you know, how could this, uh, but, we, but is it also because we have no interest in knowing the perspective of an Austrian farmer in 1939? Is that also what's happening here? Because why would people living in that space actually have any firsthand knowledge of concentration camps? Well, that's, I mean, that's where the filmmaker comes in to like that that he he does have the ability to show but he's required to go to to present a point of view beyond the characters he's decided to present a point of view from uh but i mean like you know what i mean like he's not but but he's making the point of view decision that we can judge when he's constraining his point of view in a a very fraught moment that's what i'm saying you you can this is this is beyond the film itself you can say question the choice he's made to adopt this point of view but once you've adopted that point of view i think it's relatively you know, they're, they're, within that point of view, this makes sense to me. So the idea of you saying it didn't make sense to you, like this is, yeah. these are not people who had any firsthand experience of concentration camps or knew about them. I know there's just also an uncomfortable legacy there of, of people saying they didn't have any, it, you know what I mean? Like it taps into that whole like traumatic legacy of, of course. people saying they had no experience. And it just, it, yeah, it just seems, seems like kind of obliviously per- perverse to, to, to do so. Um, and I, I, yeah, I mean, sure. Through his point of view, it's it's he's just going through. I shouldn't say that there is no. They, they actually do discuss concentration camp. They, they, there's some acknowledgement of them of them existing, but they're pretty abstractly referred to. Uh, wait, what do you mean? There's there's allusions to 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 camps. There's allusions to being 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 sent away to a camp. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's an exercise I'm not interested in <laughs> as much, that, that kind of constraint point. Also, because I don't feel like it's necessary. Like, you make this decision that becomes, I think, kind of a, a morally fraught decision that doesn't even seem necessary to accomplish the sort of vision you're, you're creating. It doesn't have to be the choice of a naive narrator is not necessary to the vision you're describing. I'm also just interested in why why a filmmaker like this would make that question. To me, it's a question. It's an interesting question, like what the purpose yeah. but is. But he's not infallible. You know? Of course he's fallible. Who's saying <laughs> I mean, he's fallible? Well, because the way you describe Malik, I mean, it feels like every single movie. I do not think Terrence Malik okay. is infallible whatsoever. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in this conversation because it's, it's a strong critique of it. And yeah. it's a strong critique of something that I don't agree with that I'm taking an opposite attack on this. Yeah. But the, I, I don't think he's infallible. I do think that an artist of this level is making choices like this. I don't want to have a conversation about how they're just, they're wrong choices. They're choices. And I'd they, like to talk about bad the choices. choices though. Well, what's the point of talking about bad choices when like, well, uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I just, I just, you don't like, okay, of course. But I just, yeah. like, where do we get after that? You made, he made bad choices. I don't think they're bad choices. Okay. I don't think they're immoral choices. What do we do? Where do we go from there? Well, that's, 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 that's probably where we finish, finish <laughs> up. Um, no, I mean, I, I would just, like, for me, this just feels like a incompletely realized work of art and not even challenging himself in a way, I guess. I guess maybe that's, that's part of what on it, what it the, comes on to. On the terms that you're, you're, you're focusing on. I mean, I, on his own terms, I don't. I, like I said, I didn't really respond to, to to what what he was he was doing. I mean, this sort of thing's kind of shooting fish in the barrel for him. Like picking a denic community and a couple this perfect Mars situation. If it was, wasn't shot in the gorgeous way it was, I mean, I I don't see a lot of you know points of divergence from from other, uh, from from a lot of other uh, portraits of of. Uh, like ennobled self-sacrifice that you know we're supposed to just admire and thr and like thrum to you know I, I i yeah and and just because he doesn't ordinarily use performance doesn't mean i can't judge these performance i just feel like well of course you can I, but i just no, that like was actually, that was my way of critiquing actually i was actually yeah. saying he made a choice that actually allowed you to actually get into whether or not the performances were strong that that was actually yeah. me allowing like i was like saying this is a total space that he made yeah. a choice that yeah that, that's yeah. not me saying you can't critique the, the performances my point is that in this film you actually can yeah yeah and and, and i like the films where he, he's, he's not for example i actually think his use of, of ben affleck in to, to, the, to the wonder right to the wonder yeah yeah was interesting when most people thought that was a disaster. Um, yeah, I agreed. Um, so, but it's less of, in some ways, it's less performance than almost like a Bressonian like use of a model, <laughs> where he's like yeah, a body. I feel like that's happened to him a bit more than um, he, he admits. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we we could go on all, all night, and I'm uh, and I wish I I could be in better condition uh, to explain. Um, my own thoughts. I think uh, you've done fine. I think you've done fine. <laughs> Too now, good. Too now good. Now here's where we, we hug it out. But, uh, <laughs> and anyway, um, definitely a film worth talking about. And uh, I think that probably uh, will we'll bring it in for a landing at this point. Um, we, you know, we, we also saw the Darden film, uh, Young Ahmed. Uh, and that'll, that'll be, which, you know, could actually dovetail very interestingly with Malik, but I think our heads would explode <laughs> at that point. And also the fact that, that we just had this, this debate after talking about a Tarantino film in like the most dulcet of tones. I know, I know. It's just kind of... Um, and there's, there's probably like a decent 25% of what I've said that I probably want to take back at some point. But <laughs> but even the notion that I think that Terrence Malik is infallible is something I need to dwell on and probably worry over the next 24 hours because <laughs> I, I do not think so. In fact, is constantly attempting and trying to grasp at things that are 
very hard to grasp is why I actually respond to his films, not him being a perfect filmmaker with the perfect instincts at all. I just want there to be, you know, I want the canvas to exist that he can explore what he's exploring, you know? And so I'm, I'm probably more forgiving of what this, what that canvas is because of, 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 of him doing something that really nobody else is doing. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would, I would totally agree with it. And you know, that's, that's a part of what's so interesting about this, the, you know, can is that you have that canvas and and you have the giant canvas of once upon in Hollywood upon a time in Hollywood yeah. and what it, what it's doing and then the very small canvas I mean the Darden film which is like eighty I think it's like eighty minutes or something but anyway uh, well I think I we still can, love you Nick that's, <laughs> I, I yes I I still love you too Eric <laughs> um, and there we have it <laughs> good night so, everybody good night everybody thank you very much Eric bye thank you Nick. This episode of the Film Comment Podcast was sponsored by MUBI. With MUBI, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. Dive into MUBI's can takeover by heading to MUBI.com slash film comment. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash film comment to get three months for just $1 until May 25th. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting a new restoration of The Queen. Decades before Paris is Burning, this iconic 1968 documentary introduced audiences to the world of competitive drag. The Queen comes to theaters starting June 28th. Right now on Ovid.tv, you can find films by the Austrian filmmaker Nicholas Gerhalter. Start with the unforgettable Our Daily Bread. The nation called it the 2001 A Space Odyssey of Modern Food Production. That's www.ovid.tv. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.